Welcome to River of Life's Wednesday Night Podcast with Derek Gray. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to visit River of Life Church this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for service times and directions. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join Derek as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to find your seats, we will uh, go ahead and get started. If you got your Bibles, uh, as I said last week, I would encourage you to open them up and follow along. You have no idea when I would try to, if somebody will ever try to mislead you or slip something in there that ain't in the Bible, uh, you need to be following along and fact-checking me and, and, and making sure that we are sticking to the truth of God. Romans 8, uh, 14 through 17. Now, we ended last week's lesson with verse 14, and tonight we're going to pick up with verse 14. And in verse 14, Paul introduces a, a theme. We're about halfway through Romans, and for the very first time, he introduces a, a theme. And it is one of the most uh, amazing themes in, in, the vi- in the Bible, one of the most precious themes in the Bible. And that, of course, is the theme of adoption that we are children of God. So let's read our verses, 14 through 17. Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided... We suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Now, as I said, up to this point, Paul hasn't even mentioned this this concept or this theme or this focus about being uh, children of God. He brings it up here in in chapter 8. And it's clearly the focus because uh, right here in these few verses, he mentions heirs and inheritance and 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 children and sons. And so this 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 idea here uh, of adoption. And, And this is so important. And we need to really stop and just see this and savor this. Because what Paul is telling us and teaching us is he's showing us who we are. He's telling us the truth about who we are. And not only that, who God himself is in relationship to us. Now, why is this so important? Well, I want to go back last week to where we talked about George Strait. Everybody remember the George Strait country song? I brought this up last week. Because we were talking about where everybody has a belief system, everybody of some sort. Well, where do people get their belief system? Well, if you're not reading the Bible, you get it from maybe your teachers in school or you get it from your family or you get it from uh, uh, books and movies or you get it from the music that you, you listen to. You're building a theology, a belief system from things outside the Bible. Well, I want to bring that song up again tonight because I want to show you why what we're talking about is so important. So here's the song. It's George Strait, uh, Love Without End. It says this, Last night I dreamed I died and stood outside the pearly gates, and suddenly I realized there must be some mistake. If they know half the things I've done, they'll never let me in. Then somewhere from the other side I heard these words again. Let me tell you a secret about a father's love, a secret that my daddy said was just between us. You see, daddies don't just love their children every now and again. 
It's a love without end. Amen. Now, here's the thing about that song, and we didn't go into it very deeply. Here's the thing. That's true. That is a true statement. A father's love, a true father's love, and especially the heavenly father's love, is unending. He he loves me despite of the bad things I do. His love is a love without end. That's not the problem with the song. The problem with the song is that it takes a truth and applies it to everybody. That's the problem. You see, the fact is, we are all creatures of God. We are not all children of God. And that is a a vast misconception. Last year, I'm driving through Tallahassee, and right there on a church sign, uh, a Methodist church sign, it said, we are all children of God. No, we're not. No, we're not. John 1, 12 through 13, read it with me. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to what? Become children of God. Unbelievers are not children of God. You become a child of God when you put your faith in Christ. You are born again. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are united to Christ and you are adopted into His family. Then you become a child of God. Now, let's get that out of the way. Now, let's remind ourselves, if we can, how we got here to this concept of being children of of God. Last week in Romans 8, 13, Paul said this, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, if you live according to, if you live your life according to the patterns and the behaviors and the beliefs of this world, Paul says you will die. And that's not a physical death. That is a spiritual death. You will be eternally separated from God. Let me tell you, we'll talk later about heaven and hell as we move through Romans 8. And and whatever else heaven is, it is first and foremost God. Wherever He is, is heaven, right? Whatever hell is, and wherever hell is, if whatever else we disagree or agree on, first and foremost, it is a complete separation from God. Or, Or let's put it this way. I want you to think for a moment about all the good things in your life. Just think for a moment about the good things in your life. Having someone to love. Having someone uh, to to love you back. Just the beauty of of the world. Enjoying uh, a a cup of coffee or or, uh, just a a moment of pleasure. Uh, An act of kindness. Those kind of things, right? Now, imagine a place where there's none of that. Because see, the fact is, all those things come from God. The Bible says every good and uh, perfect gift comes from the Father of light. That's, that's God. He, 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 that's what we call common grace. right? God pours out bl- those types of blessings on everybody. He makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Now imagine God is pulled away. All that goes with Him. Now all you're left with is a place where there is no love. There is no kindness. There is no purpose. There is just unbridled, unrestrained narcissism. Now, what I just described to you is Washington, D.C. No, I just, I heard somebody tell that joke one time. I thought I would throw that out there. Um, That's hell. First and foremost, forget everything else. It is a complete absence of anything good. And that's what Paul says. If you live your life according to the ways of the flesh, the ways of this world, you will be spiritually separated from God forever. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, 
you will live. Now, last week we asked the question, well, what does he mean by that? Killing sin by the, by the Spirit, what we, we showed last week, is just putting your faith in the promises of God. The same way you were born again by putting your faith in the promises of God is the same way you live the Christian life. You just believe the Word and the Spirit takes your faith and combined with, that, uh, with His Word, He kills sin in your life. And we covered that last week. Now, in verse 14, Paul says this, for all who are led by the Spirit, and by the way, he's talking about what he just said in verse 13, for all who are led by the Spirit to kill their sin are sons of God. And there's that connection we had last week. If you are killing sin by the Spirit in your life, that is evidence that you are being led by the Spirit, and that, of course, is evidence that you are a son or a daughter of or a child of God. Now, in tonight's verses, Paul needs to address another question. And that is, why is that even true? Why does the leading of the Spirit prove that you are a child of God? I mean, what what is it about the leading of the Spirit that proves you're a child of God? Well, let's look at verses 14 and 15. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God for, again, that's a connecting word. He's fixing to explain something that he just said. Here's the reason that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And he says this, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is the very first time that Paul has called the Spirit the spirit of adoption. He's called him the spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. And now he calls him the spirit of adoption. You see, the fact is when we are born again, when we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are adopted by God the Father. It is an absolutely uh, amazing thing. Now, listen, the spirit is given to us for a lot of reasons, okay? He's given to us, as we saw last week, to kill sin. He's given to us to lead us into truth. He's given to us to glorify Christ, to uh, produce the fruits of the Spirit, to conform us to the image of Jesus. He's given to us for a lot of reasons. But with regard to our adoption, He's given to us for two reasons. Number one, He's given to us as a seal guaranteeing our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him at that moment. When you heard the word and you put your faith in Christ, at that moment you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire a possession of it to the praise of His glory. If you are born again, He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You are property of the King. Nobody can snatch you out of His hand. You are the property of the king. Just like that that rubber seal that kings used to put on their letters and and things. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee. Man, I love that word. Listen, there ain't much you can guarantee in this life. There's not much. I can't guarantee I'll be standing here alive in one minute. I cannot guarantee that. But let me tell you, when God guarantees something, it's guaranteed. I, I, I love that. Number two, this is even better. The Spirit is poured out into our hearts to make real our adoption here and now. See, He he seals us to say, I'm going to guarantee that one day on the other side, across the Jordan, when you've passed from from life into death, He said, "I'm I'm going to be there and I'm going to guarantee that inheritance. That's one day. 
but he's also given to us to make it real to us here and now. Look at Galatians 4, 5, and 6. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because you are His child, He's given you the Holy Spirit. But notice what He's given you for, what the result of giving the Holy Spirit to you. It's a heart cry from within inside of you. This is exactly what Paul is saying tonight in Romans 8 to 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoptions as sons by who we cry, Abba, Father. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes in, He replaces a fear of a slave toward a master with the love of a child toward his father. You see, the fact is that most people walk around and we see God as this judge with an axe hanging over our head. Some people see him as a dictator. Some people uh, see him as this cruel tyrant. And we all saw him as this kind of this something separate, right? But when the Holy Spirit comes in, the result of that is now that we see him as a heavenly father. Now, let me say something here real quick. If, if I ever get a chance to talk to men and talk to, to dads, I'll always, if I can, I'll impress upon them how important it is to be a good dad. (laughs) Because what you're doing is you're setting a model for how somebody is going to see God. You see, the fact is, I was raised by a very good dad. And I I had a loving heavenly father. I had a loving earthly father. So it made it easy for me to see God as a loving father. Other people are raised in situations where their dad's not so loving. Maybe their dad's abusive. And it turn around and to see the idea of a loving, a loving father, that's foreign to them. So it's so important, young men, and if you've got children, it's so important that you're a loving father because you are modeling God for them. When it comes time for them to see God as a heavenly father, you are modeling that. How are they going to see God? They're going to base their first impressions off of, 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 of you. And that's just so critically Important, But regardless of how you see him before, the Holy Spirit comes in and he changes everything. So ask yourself tonight, how do you see God? Do you really see him as some judge with a, you know, with a, with judgment hanging over your head? Or do you really see him as a loving heavenly father? Because if the spirit's in you, it said he creates that heart cry, Abba, Father. See, the fact is, you can get a lot of compliance with fear. You can make people do things out of fear. It reminds me of a story I read one time back in the Vietnam War. Some reporters went over to Vietnam and they was interviewing some of the people. And they asked this man, he said, they said, do, do the Vietnamese people like communism? And, and this was his answer. He said, well, they got guns. They got guns. You see, the fact is, if you've got guns or you've got power over people. You can make them do what you want them to do. Now, they'll hate your guts on the inside. But they'll, you, can, you can make them comply externally. Folks, the, the Holy Spirit is not interested at all in external compliance. He wants to change us on the inside. He, he wants us to comply and walk in God's ways because that's who we are. Because we love Him as our Heavenly Father. In fact, that's how He does it. And Scripture tells us that the way that He creates this internal compliance is not through fear 
but it's through love. I want to show you two things that the Spirit does with God's love. Number one, the Spirit brings God's love to us. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God's love comes into our hearts and fills our lives through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things He brings God's love to us. This is so awesome because, again, this isn't about the future. This isn't about one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to see God as this heavenly Father. No, this is right now. This is something that we should be experiencing right now in our uh, life. It's something that should happen to every Christian that I know. I, I, I not, just, not only do I know it, but I feel it. You know, I know that Kathy loves me, right? I, I know she does. I don't doubt it. It's not a day I goes by that, that doubts it because I'm, I'm with her every day. I see what she does. I see how she forgives me. I see how she does things for me. I, I just know that she does. Listen, we should know God loves us in the exact same way. There shouldn't be a doubt in our mind that our Heavenly Father loves us. So that's the first thing He does. He brings God's love to us. The second thing He does is He awakens our love for God. This is exactly what Paul says in Romans 8:15. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom? What makes you in your heart cry to God and see him as a father? It says it's by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is enabling that inside of you. He's creating a heart cry. He's he's creating a response inside of you that sees God as your heavenly father. Again, not, not, a, not a heart that sees God as a tyrant or a, or a, a mean boss or a, or, or a judge or a king or anything like that, but as a heavenly father. Now, don't get me wrong. God is a judge. God is a heavenly father. And, and just like we should all have a respectful fear of our dads, but it's a different fear than we have from a, a dictator or a tyrant. We all understand that, right? Um, and, and that's how we should see him as a loving father. Now, let's turn to verse 16. And then Paul says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, we need to be very careful right here. Okay? We need to be very careful that we understand what this means. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, what does that mean? Is Paul saying... You're just going to get a feeling. You're just going to get a warm, fuzzy feeling on the inside. Listen, we need to be very careful because that's what other religions teach. Let me give you an example. This is the Book of Mormon, uh, Moroni 10.4 out of the Book of Mormon. And this is what it says. It says, when you shall receive these things, I would exhort that you would ask God, the eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if you ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Mormons refer to as the witness of the Spirit. So what they do is they teach their children, they teach uh, their young people, if you really want to know whether Mormonism is true, whether the Book of Mormon is the true Word of God, then you need to get off by yourself and you need to ask God and you're going to get a feeling. You're going to get this feeling and you're going to know that it's all true. Okay? I mean, this is what they teach. In fact, listen to... This is one of their apologists. He said this, 
You will not get to know it, talking about whether the Book of Mormon is true, by trying to prove it archaeologically or by DNA or by anything else. Religious truth is always confirmed by what you feel. Okay? Now, listen, they have to teach that because archaeologically and scientifically, the Book of Mormon is a disaster. There is nothing, that, that book calls out civilizations and peoples and animals and things that lived in the United States and they have never found one piece of evidence that any of that is true. None of it. So, so they don't say read the book and, and base it on the facts. They say, no, you got to get a feeling. And that feeling will tell you whether or not this is true. Now folks, that is, should go without saying, that's extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. In fact, let me show you something about the way Satan works. Satan will always try to skip your mind and get to your heart. Think about that song. Daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. Right? You hear that song and it just gives you a warm feeling, doesn't it? Man, that's awesome. God is awesome. You never ask yourself, am I really a child of God? Does the Bible really teach that? It just goes right past your mind to get down to your emotions. That's what these guys are doing. Don't, don't look at the science. Don't look at the facts. Don't look at all that. Just go, you'll get a feeling. You've got to be very careful of that. Listen, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, God doesn't work that way at all. See, the witness of the Holy Spirit is not just a feeling. It's based on truth and facts. 1 John 4, 9 says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son, where? Into the world. There was a man named Jesus who lived in, the, under the, in, in Jerusalem under the Roman uh, Empire at a particular time and place. Luke 2, 1 and 2, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and it took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. Go read the Bible. Names and places and dates and facts and times. And archaeology uh, over and over and over again has proven it to be true, true, true. Over again. For years they said there was no such man as Pontius Pilate. The Bible just made it all up. And one day they're in there digging and guess what they found? They found a stamp that said Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. Over and over. Oh, there's no such thing as King David. That's just, we've never found any evidence of that until they did. There was no such uh, thing, excuse me, as this uh, a certain kingdom that they called out in the Old Testament. Didn't exist. No evidence until they found it. Over and over again. The Bible is based on facts. Paul in Acts 26, 26 is testifying before King Agrippa. And he said this, King Agrippa, I speak boldly. I, I know you know these things because they weren't done in a corner. See, the Bible is not about something that happened in a, in, a, in, a, in a place that we can't prove and we can't... I mean, I can walk today into the theater where Paul preached. I want to go there one day. I don't know if I'll ever make it, but I would love to do that. Literally walk into the amphitheater in Ephesus where Paul preached. I mean, this is real right? So the Bible, it's not just a feeling. It backs itself up at the same time. Listen to me. The witness of the Spirit is not that we just read a book and say, I'm a child of God. 
it's not just about the letters on the page. Are you with me? You see, knowing doctrine as important as that is doesn't produce children who cry, Heavenly Father. It's it's not about a book. I I mentioned a week or two ago about a, a professor I had that knew the Bible better than I did. Folks, the devil knows the Bible better than you do. He knows the doctrine, but he doesn't cry, Abba, Father. You see, it's not just about knowing the doctrine. That's good. That's great. It's important. But see, the reason that Paul uses words like cry and Abba, Father, is because he wants us to know that the Holy Spirit creates in us something that's deep and and emotional and affectionate and authentic. It's real in the here and now. This is how we should feel about God. He is our Father. In fact, look at Romans 8, 15 and 16. Let's put those two verses together. He said, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then immediately he said, the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How is the spirit bearing witness with us? He's creating affections in us for God. That's how He's bearing witness with us. I'm going through life, right? And, and all of a sudden I start realizing, you know, I'm, I see God completely differently now than I used to. I used to see Him as this just, you know, I don't know what I used to see, but now He's my, he's my Father. And I can go to Him and talk to Him and, and I understand Him as a, a Father. I was telling someone the other day, and I could just stay here and talk about this for a long time. I was telling somebody the other day, we were, uh, we were talking about prayer. And I was remembering about how God does or does not answer prayer. And the Bible has got this great statement, one of the statements that I love. The Bible says this, If you, as a father, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to those who love Him? Now think about that. If, if I'm, I'm a fallen man and I love my children and my grandchildren to death and I just want to bless them and, and I just want to love them and I'm a fallen man, how much more does your heavenly Father feel that way about you? Now listen to me though, and this is what I was explaining to somebody. When I was a teenager, I, was, I had gotten a job when I was about 16 and I was uh, wanting to buy a car. And I remember I wanted a Jeep. A friend of mine had a Jeep, and I just thought that is the coolest thing in the world. And he was, they had a lot more money than we did, but, but he had a Jeep, right? So I thought, I got to have me a Jeep. So I start looking for a Jeep, and I don't know if my daddy even remembered this. And I said, Daddy, will buy a Jeep? He said, nope. No, you're not going to get a Jeep. I said, why? He said, it'll roll over. It'll kill you. Okay, so I start looking. And, oh, I, I, I found a Camaro. <laughs> it had a... It had a 280, it was a 1969 Camaro with a 289 motor in it. Oh, I was in love with that car, and I told my dad, I want that Camaro. No. Why? You go too fast, you'll kill yourself. He said, no. Now, see, the fact is, at the time, I thought, what's wrong with him? What is wrong with him? Man, he just sucks all the fun out of life, man. I mean, what does he want me to, to buy, a, a Granada? I mean, what does he, you know, what does he want me to, some of y'all don't even know what Granadas are. Um, but... But see, what I realize now, as I look back, is he was being a loving father. He was making decisions for me when I didn't really know what I needed. See, God is a loving father. Sometimes we come to him and say, give me this. 
And it's his loving father that says, no, no, that's not what you need. That's not good for you right now. See, a loving father don't just give you everything. What, what, what is that? That's, that's, that's not a loving father. A loving father gives you what you need, not necessarily what you, what you want. And that's what I was telling this person. How much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts? A gift that's going to benefit you for eternity, not just in the short term, make you, make you somehow uh, happy. But see, that's how we should see God. We should begin to grow in these affections toward Him as a heavenly Father and see Him not just as somebody just going to give me any... I, I always I worry about people who just see God as a Santa. He's just a Santa. Just give me whatever I need. Give me whatever I want. Why ain't you giving me this? That's not a view of God as a loving Father. That's not what a loving Father does. But see, our view of God should begin to change. The testimony of the Spirit that we are God's children... It's from our heart there arises a cry, not just a statement that you read from a book, I am a child of God, but a cry. Just the way a little child would, would reach up their hands and say, Daddy, that type of cry comes from us. That is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now, this brings us to verse 17, okay? Which is, I, I describe this verse as spectacular, and I describe it as scary, Okay? Now, let's read it. Verse 17. He says, If you are children, then you are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's a spectacular part. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So, this is a spectacular verse. I want you to think for a moment about what that says. It says that you will receive the same inheritance as Christ. How crazy is that? We are joint heirs. We are fellow heirs. We will receive the same inheritance as Christ. That's un- we could just sit here and talk about that for a while. That's unbelievable. But then he turns around and says, but to get it, you've got to suffer. To get it, you've got to suffer. Now, let me say this. This is not bad news, okay? Some people, the first time I ever read this, I thought, well, this makes no sense at all. He just told me some of the greatest news of my life, and then he turned around and he just told me one of the most discouraging things I've ever heard. Man, i got to suffer. That's not what he's doing at all. I mean, can you imagine? See, Paul clearly wants us to rejoice. You are children of God. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You, you cry, Abba, Father. You are going to inherit the same things that Christ inherits, but you got to suffer. Again, this is not, his intention is not to discourage us, so this is not bad news. So let's look at both sides of it. First of all, let's look at our inheritance. What exactly is it? And by the way, as we move through Romans, we are going to talk about this in more detail. We're going to talk about what heaven's going to be like. We're going to talk about the things that we're going to inherit. We're going to talk about all of these things. So let's talk about, I'm going to give you three things that we're going to inherit. Number one, the world, Romans 4.13. Paul says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. By the way, we are the offspring of Abraham by faith. We are, remember the song? Father Abraham had many sons, and I'm one of them, and so are you. That comes from Scripture. We are children of Abraham through faith. 
And the promise to us is that we would be heir of the world. Folks, read the Bible. We will live for eternity right here on a new earth. We will live not floating in the clouds, not in some ethereal place. We will live, God will recreate the heavens and the earth, and we will live right here. None of the pain, none of the sorrow, none of the, none of the bad stuff, just the way it was meant to be in the very beginning. We will inherit the world. Number two, we will inherit God himself. Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What an incredible thing. God himself comes down and dwells with us right here. He lives with us. He is our God. That's heaven. That's the description of it in the Bible. Let me tell you something about this. That, above all else, whatever else we are going to be in glorified bodies and and what we're going to do, our great hope is that we are going to be with God. See, the fact is, that's what we're made for. That's what we're created. All these beautiful gifts, when you walk outside and you just see all the beauty and you see the kindness and the love that we have for one another... Those are just gifts from... Those those are gifts... If if those things are great, how much greater is the Creator? I mean, can you imagine? I think sometime about the the God... I was watching an interview the other day with Richard Dawkins, who's an atheist, and they were talking about this idea that the world's designed, and, and they said, is it a possibility that this world was created by a greater intelligence? And he said, yeah, maybe aliens... Maybe aliens did it. You know, this idea, but they just will not acknowledge God. But see, I see God in everything. I see Him in everything. And the, 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 the being, the God that created this by speaking a word, He's unbelievable. It's beyond our comprehension. And see, everything He gives us is just meant to reveal more of Him. This is what I'm like. This is what's waiting for you. Number three, glorified bodies. Think about it this way. In, on this glorified earth with God here, there's going to be a lot of really nice things and really cool things. The Bible says, by the way, at His right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. You'll never get bored. There's no boredom. Pleasures forevermore. It's going to be incredible things. But you see, in order for us to enjoy the things and not put them ahead of God, we need new bodies. I got to get rid of this tent. I got to get rid of this flesh. I need a new mind. I need a new, I need a new body to be able to actually enjoy things, but at the same time, not elevate them above the giver of those things. Romans 8, 22 and 24 not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. And we'll talk about what our bodies are going to look like uh, in a few weeks. Now, spectacular. We inherit the world. We inherit God Himself. He'll be here with us. We are in glorified bodies. It's unbelievable. And then Paul adds this at the end of that verse, provided provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified 
with him. Okay, what kind of suffering is Paul talking about? Well, suffering comes from a lot of different uh, directions in this, in this life. Sometimes suffering comes from within, right? Jesus said, anyone that wants to follow up me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Sometimes it needs to come from within. Sometimes it comes from without. Jesus said, any, uh, not Jesus, uh, the Bible says that uh, anybody that wants to live godly lives will suffer persecution. Sometimes it comes from outside. By the way, sometimes it comes from God because He loves His children so much that He'll discipline you to make sure you don't stray off. It comes from a lot of different directions. Here's a very simple, and we're going to, by the way, we'll get to this next week. Here's a very simple definition of suffering. Any hardship that might destroy your faith and lead you away from God. Any hardship. That could be physical. It could be financial. It could be relational. It could be anything at all that has a propensity to destroy your faith and drive you away from God. That's suffering. Now, here's the thing. Paul says you've got to go through those things. If you want to make it to the end, if you want to receive that inheritance, if you want to to be with God forever in this world with this glorified body, you have to go through those things. Now, the question is why? Why do we have to suffer? Acts 14.22 tells a story about Paul and Barnabas and they're traveling around to all the churches and they're preaching them and they're strengthening them in their faith, reminding them, it says, that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Why? Why do we have to go through the pain and the hurt and the suffering and the sickness and the sorrow? Why? Because it's a, it's a necessity. You have to do it. Because suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. Romans 5.8, Paul says, Not only that, But we rejoice in our sufferings. Why, Paul? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance of what? Faith. Anybody here that's a Christian can testify to what I'm going to say. You've gone through a hard time and you came out the other side and your faith was stronger than when you went in. Yes or no? That's Bible. That's not me. That's not from philosophy. That's Bible. Suffering produces endurance. Suffering makes you stronger in your faith. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, 8-10. This is a great... Let me answer this question. Why? Why does suffering produce endurance? I'll let Paul answer that question. 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 8-10. Paul writes, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, Paul doesn't say what they were going through, but it was so bad. They're out there on the mission field, and it was so bad that they literally thought, this is it. We're not not getting out of this this time. We, I might have escaped that shipwreck and I, I, you know, when they stoned me and left me for dead and they beat me, I, I got out of all them things, but this is it. We literally think this is it. This is our death sentence. We're going to die. Now, here's the question. Why would God let them go through that? These are men of God. They're out there on the mission field. 
They've, they've left their homes. They've left their family. They're, they're traveling out and, and establishing these churches. These are godly men. God is their heavenly Father. He loves them. They love Him. And yet, they're going through this to the very point. This isn't a light thing, right? They didn't get the flu. I mean, they think they're going to die. Why did God let them do that? Paul says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He allowed us to go through that to make us rely... I thought I was at the point of death. It made me rely on the God who raises the dead. You see, the fact is, think about one moment. Just think, if your life had no troubles, your life had no sickness, your life had no sorrow, no troubles, no pain, no afflictions, none of that, do you know what would happen? I can tell you what would happen. You would fall so deeply in love with the world you would fall in love with its pleasures and with its security instead of falling in love with the world to come. You would fall in love with this world. Let me tell you, folks, suffering is a great mercy. Suffering is a great mercy. Why? Because it keeps us from loving this life more than we should. A life that is just temporary. A life that is all for all of us going to end the exact same way, six feet underground. And it makes us say, you know what? It's not about this life. It's about the next. It's about the next. This is why things like the prosperity gospel and pe- people that teach your best life now, that is an abomination. I'm sorry. I don't know any other word to use. That is an abomination because it puts people's focus on this life. And that Bible is saying, no, you look to your inheritance. You, you look for what's coming. You, 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 it's not about the here and now. And suffering, suffering makes us do that. Gets our mind off of this world and puts our mind on the next. We're going to get there, but we're going to have to suffer to do it. Now listen, I don't, I'm not making light of it. I've been there. It's not easy. It is incredibly hard. But let me tell you, that's why lessons like tonight are so important. Do you understand, there's a lot of people not here. And, 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 and that's a, I'm not saying anything about that one way or another. But you are. You are. And you're hearing the Word of God. And you're hearing somebody exhort you to keep pressing. It's not about this life. It's about the life to come. Right? that's why this is so important. Because the Bible teaches us, keep your inheritance before you. Remember what it's all about. Keep the main thing the main thing. And if we're fortunate, and we will be, because it's guaranteed, we will be able to say like Paul, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. It's not even worth even talking about. This is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Father, as always, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for bringing your love into our heart and creating a love for you within us. What a, what a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful, God, that I don't have to wait till death. 
to know the love of God. I know it right now, this very second, as, as do many others here. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, that doesn't, that, that's got their mind set on the things of the flesh, that's got their mind just enveloped with this world, somehow, God, you do what you do. Take the blinders off. Take, take, the, take the, 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 the things off their ears where they, they can't see. I mean, I'm sorry, but they can't hear. Lord, help them hear the word. Know who you are. Let them see you for who you really are, a loving Heavenly Father. And this night, I pray, God, that they make you Lord of their life and they experience the the adoption that many of us here have. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We don't say it enough. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in our lives and doing the things that you do for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you and we appreciate all that you do for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the River of Life podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.